Well, it's great to be with you today, and it's my privilege to start our Christmas teaching series. But before I get into that, I just want to give you a little bit more uh, information about what's coming up at King's over the next few weeks. Uh, Obviously, you've heard from Moses about our big carol services, all going to be online this year, and we would love you to come along to those and invite lots of friends. They're going to be excellent. Uh, We also have, in the next few weeks, some really fantastic material for our kids. If you look at the Kids at Home uh, page on our website, so parents, guardians, have a look at that with your kids. You're going to love that stuff. And from the 13th, so next Sunday, we are beginning to meet again in our buildings. Uh, We just have limited spaces, as you know, but we have in-person services in the morning on the 13th at all the sites. In the evening at Catford, we've got a youth service, which would be great. We'd love to gather as many young people together as we can. And then on the 20th, we have family Christmas services in the mornings at all the sites. And in the evening, we have services aimed more at adults. Again, Christmas services, uh, which again, we'd love you to come to if you'd like to. All the details on our website, you will need to get tickets in order to be able to come to any of those. And there's only limited spaces. But please, uh, yeah, come along and get involved and make sure you're there for the big online carol service. So this morning as we... Uh, Well, today as we start the the Christmas series, we're going to be looking at the theme of uh, Jesus as the light of the world. And we're going to be preaching about that over these next few weeks. And today we're going to look at a passage which uh, might seem a little bit unusual as a Christmas passage. But what we're going to find is this passage is full of truth, which is relevant to the theme of light and Christmas. And so we're going to look at Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and we're going to look at chapter one and the first five verses. If you've got a Bible, you want to turn there. Uh, uh, if, you, if you haven't, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. And this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, and the first day. Now, people love putting up lights. We like putting up lights. Particularly, we love putting up lights at Christmas. Uh, In our houses, in our flats, on our Christmas trees, we'll put them inside jars, on banisters, pretty much anywhere where there's a socket, you'll find people putting up lights, particularly fairy lights this time of year. Uh, You can get fairy lights with batteries. We've even got those. They go in our car at Christmas sometimes. And as we know, it's not just inside. People love to decorate their houses big time, their sheds, their trees, their pets. You name it, we will decorate it with lights. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but people seem to have gone early this year. I don't know if it's because it's just been such a kind of bleak season, uh, but the Christmas thing has kicked off early, it seems to me. People have got lights up, trees up, jumpers on as soon as possible. And it's been quite fun in our staff team. We do Zoom calls with all our staff each week. Uh, just seeing which of our staff has kind of like decorated their room at this point, like Santa's Grotto or got a tree up or just seeing who's gone early. We are drawn to light. We love light. I particularly love the light you get from a fire. And light often speaks to us of hope and beauty and life. And this theme of light, if you like, is everywhere in the Christmas story. It kind of permeates everything. And there's particularly well-known passages in the Bible we often read at Christmas, Isaiah 9 or John 1, which speaks about the light of the world coming into the world, Jesus, the light of the world. But they are also all connected to this passage we've just read in Genesis 1. 
Now, Genesis 1, you probably know, is, if you like, the account of creation. It's an amazing account. In one sense, you can read it with kids. It's simple, but in another way, it's remarkably complex. And you can read book upon book about what scholars say about Genesis 1. It speaks of how God brings creation into being, how he creates the heavens and the earth, we're told. That means basically everything. And how the world was formless and chaotic and dark, lacking order and purpose, and how God, as the spirit broods over the water, starts to bring life and order and vibrancy and diversity, and how he begins the whole creation process by speaking light into existence. And so we're told, before God speaks light, that the earth was formless and empty and dark. So it's a little like North London, if you've ever been there. No, I'm joking. If you, to our friends who come from North London, I'm joking. But it, we're told and described a place which is lacking order, it's chaotic. And the original Hebrew words, which we get translated in our Bibles, basically communicated this was a sense of emptiness, a void, something lacking purpose, a sense of, lacking a sense of worth, like a wasteland. And it's into that context that God speaks and creates light. And it's from there that life starts to come. It's how God starts to create. But Genesis 1, as well as being, if you like, an account of God's creation, at the same time is like a picture, it's like a, almost like a prophetic picture for us, of life and the human condition and the world without God, where people are far away from God, where there is great brokenness and emptiness, where we've lost our sense of purpose and design for what we were made for, and how that leads to great darkness and evil. And we see that, don't we, in the world all around us. Just this week, I was speaking to friends in the church how the mum and her two kids were on a bus and she was just horribly racially abused on a bus and it's just evil and wrong and it's dark and completely awful. But it just tells us what the world we live in is like, sadly. We live in what Isaiah describes as a land of deep darkness. But it's not just that the culture out there is dark. This is also at times a picture of our lives. In other words, we live in a land of darkness, but without God, that darkness is also in me. It's in us. Without God, my life is not what it should be. There's brokenness and addiction and unhealthy habits. There's a lack of purpose and worth. There's a, a sense, if you like, of deep discontent that can be in me. So I can live in the land of darkness, but without God, the darkness is also in me. And it's into the emptiness and the darkness in creation that God speaks light. And as God speaks light, everything begins to change. Now, I want you to note something really important. It's only when God speaks, when God acts, when the light comes, that the darkness, the void, if you like, the chaos starts to change. And this is such an important insight when it comes to thinking about not only creation, but also our own Lives. You see, the darkness doesn't change by itself. It doesn't change without a light coming from outside. The void, the chaos does not get or become ordered or healed or creation doesn't begin without intervention from outside. We try, if you like, we all try to create our own light in order to deal with the darkness. The world tries, but it doesn't work. 
In one sense, Christmas, for many people, is a, a bit a way of kind of doing that. That sometimes we will try to get together, we will try to create enough goodwill, enough celebration, enough joy, and if we can do that, maybe we can create enough light in our own lives to deal with the discontent or the darkness. Now, please hear me. I, I love the Christmas season. I'm all in. I love the decorations, the sense of season, the festivities, the joy. I love getting people together when we can and are allowed to do that. I love all those things, and it's, I hope that you are able, even in the limitations of this next few weeks, to enjoy this season. But the problem is, if celebrating Christmas becomes a way, if you like, of trying to generate enough light for ourselves, enough joy, enough celebration for ourselves to see us through somehow and deal with the discontent, then we don't really understand how desperate the darkness is. I remember years ago, uh, we went up to town with our kids and we went to see a firework display at the end of the Lord's Mayor show. So in the centre of London, we're at the Thames. It's, it's, quite, it's about five o'clock in the evening. It's November. It's dark and cold. And we had this incredible firework display over the Thames. It was super impressive. All the crowd there were making the right noises, all the oohs and the ahs. And it was amazing. But I distinctly remember the experience that after about 10, 15 minutes, the last firework goes off and then everything stops. All, everything's dark again. Everyone turns around and everyone leaves. And although it had been really impressive, in one sense you walk away completely the same as you were before and everyone goes. And that's a little bit like what Christmas can be like without God. It's, it can be impressive, but at the end of it you walk away and the darkness is still there. I live in the land of darkness and the darkness can be in me if I don't know Jesus And just as in Genesis 1, the formless world desperately needed a light to come and bring life. So you and I desperately need a light, if you like, in the words of Isaiah, to dawn upon us in order to bring life. And that is the amazingly good news of Christmas and of this season. Because God does act. He speaks. He speaks light. He speaks light into creation. He separates light from darkness. And as he does, life starts to come. In other words, he doesn't leave things as they are. And in this season at Christmas, we celebrate that God doesn't leave things as they are. That he acts. And for us, it's not just as simple that God speaks. God doesn't just speak as he does in in Genesis 1. We have a God, we celebrate a God who doesn't simply speak we have one who steps down into our darkness. He doesn't simply shine a light into the darkness, showing it for what it is. He steps into our darkness in order to overcome the darkness. You see, on one hand, light can simply illuminate what is there. You walk into a dark room, you switch the light on to show you and expose to you, if you like, what's in the room. That's what light does. Several years ago, Sarah and I were away with our kids. We were camping with some friends. And one night, we left our kids with our friends to look after them. We cycled off to a village nearby, and we kind of had the evening together and had a meal. And we were sitting outside this restaurant. And I remember as we're sitting there, if you like, the wind started to pick up. And you, could, you just had that feel that a storm was coming. And it gets a bit darker, and the wind starts to really pick up. And I remember thinking, we, we better get home. So we start to, we leave, we pay, by the way, and we leave. And we begin to cycle home. And as we're cycling back to our campsite, the thunder, so the storm comes right in. 
and we are caught in the middle of this thunderstorm. It's, it's pitch black, it's pouring with rain. We don't have any lights. We're, we're on cycle paths, so it wasn't that crazy. But I remember it, was, it felt a bit mad, and we're cycling, and then it starts, the lightning comes. And I remember one moment where there was sheet lightning, and literally the entire sky was lit. Everything was lit for about a second in the middle of the night with this silvery light. I mean, it was awe-inspiring. We went from pitch black to silvery light everywhere and then back again. Because the light exposes and shows you what's there in the darkness. And in one sense, light can be uncomfortable for us. God's light can be uncomfortable for us because it shows us and exposes in us who we really are and what's really there. It's interesting in the Christmas accounts or the nativity accounts, if you read them in the Gospels, every time someone meets an angel, whether it's Zechariah or Mary or the shepherds, every time they're terrified. And every time the angels have to reassure them and go, you know, don't be fearful, I've come to bring you good news. And they kind of go, what kind of good news is this? And they're, they're all terrified. Now, you can kind of understand that because I suspect an angel just appearing is pretty terrifying just in all of itself. But at the same time, there seems to be there's something in being in the presence of an angelic being which makes you suddenly aware of your own shortcomings and inadequacy and your own sinfulness. The light shows us who we really are. And when God comes to us, the light shows us for who we are. We have to admit, if you like, in, in the light of his light, our own brokenness, our own darkness, our own habits that we can't control, our own sinfulness, our, our own darkness. The light exposes it. But the great news is God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just leave us exposed with all our sinfulness. A few years ago, uh, Sarah and I were driving in uh, our car down the South Circular, quite near our house, and I had, I, I had an encounter with a policeman. Uh, now, and I'll just say, before I get into the story any further, uh, there were lots of great police people. Uh, so, and if you work for the police, we're very glad you joined us this morning. So this is just a comment about this particular interaction with this particular policeman, which I did, if I'm honest, find a bit tricky. So we're driving our car, and we get to the intersection, if you know that area, with the A2, which takes you up to uh, the Blackwell Tunnel. And there are a set of lights there. And I'm there, it's a red light, and the light's in front. It's about five meters, there's another light that's red. And the one five meters ahead goes green. And I just see it and I react and I just go. And I realize, as I've got about three or four meters, that my light is still red. And I've just gone through a red light because that light in front was green. And I'm like, oh, so I stop. Unfortunately, the car next to me is a police car with a policeman in it, not surprisingly. And not surprisingly, sadly, as the lights then all go green and I try to drive off, pretending nothing has happened, he flashes his lights and pulls me over. And then we have this conversation. So I try and explain to him that I've made an honest mistake and I thought the lights had gone green and I realized they hadn't. So I stopped and, and I'm assuming he's going to understand. Sadly, he doesn't really understand. He says to me, yeah, but you went through a red light. And I said, I know I went through a red light and I'm really, really sorry, but you understand, I saw a green light, I went through, but I, I, I realized and I stopped immediately and I, it was a complete mistake. He said, yeah, but you went through a red light. And so we, and we did that for a few times and every time I explained it, I thought he would kind of get it. But each time he went, no, 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 you went through a red light, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. And he did speak a bit like this. 
So I'm like, well, please don't give me a ticket, you know, because I just made a mistake. And I said, you know, can you show a little bit of flexibility, a bit of discretion, you know, and basically, can you let me off? Because I just made an honest mistake. And he said to me, well, what about all the other people that I book here? You know, that, well, I can't, just, I don't let them off. And I'm saying, so I tried to explain to him, but I wouldn't tell any of them. I won't, I won't tell any of those people. So it's complete, his secret would be safe with me. But sadly, that didn't convince him either. Anyway, so we get into a bit of a discussion about whether this is okay or not. He, at this point, he's got his machine out and he's trying to book me with a ticket. And he asked to see my license and he said, basically, you've got two options. You can, you can basically like, admit this now and I can give you a ticket or you can come down to the police station with me and you can contest it. So I'm like, I don't really know what to do. So now I have a friend, Tim, who's a lawyer. So I decided, I said, I'm just going to ring my friend who's a lawyer. And I just sensed maybe a flash of concern across this policeman's face. I don't know. But anyway, I tried to get hold of my friend, the lawyer. Um, I think at this point, Sarah, who's in the car, is praying because she knows how much I'm going to be really annoyed if I get a ticket for this. So I tried to get hold of my friend Tim to go, what do I do? And I can't get hold of him. But I, so I put the phone down and I get out of the car, assuming I'm going to have to get a ticket and, you know, pay the money. As I get out, the guy's there, the policeman's there with his machine, tapping it like this, looking very frustrated. And after a few minutes, he goes, well, I think, I think you've got away with it. I think you've got away. And basically, his machine to give me a ticket had broken, which was brilliant. So he couldn't, he couldn't give me a ticket. So then he just told me, gave me a telling off and he pointed his finger at me and said, no, no, don't, don't do it again. And I said, well, I, I won't do it again. And I drove off. Now, the point of the story is this. You see, the policeman had the possibility not just to pull me up and show me and expose, if you like, what I had done wrong. He had also the power to let me go, to, to free me, to to allow, to lead me out of the problem and let me go. But he didn't do it. He decided just to show me the problem and he was going to book me. And that, by the way, is why God judged him and broke his stupid machine. But we don't have a God who's like that. We don't have a God who just shows us what the problem is, who just exposes our sinfulness, who decides to point out all our mess and rubbish and just shines his light and exposes us. We have one who leads us out of our darkness into light. He doesn't just leave us where we are. The Christmas story is the light of God comes. Jesus, the light of the world, comes not just to leave us in our darkness, not just to expose our darkness, not to illuminate it, but to lead us out of it. Every moment there is light in the Christmas story. Every moment the light leads people. The star guides the Magi towards the Saviour. Choirs of angels come and light up the sky, not to announce judgment, but to declare good news. So good, they literally can't contain it. They have to sing it. So yes, God's light shows us how dark and how bleak and how broken we are and how dark our land is. But God's light also comes to lead us out of darkness. 1 Peter 2 says this, we have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And his way of calling us out of darkness, of leading us out of darkness, is not by simply speaking, not by simply sending an angel or choirs of angel or a star. Rather, he is the light and he steps into our darkness. That's why John writes in John 1 verse 9, true light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And God chooses in Jesus 
to step deliberately into the darkest, most inhospitable, most unpromising circumstances. Born to a a young Jewish girl called Mary who got pregnant outside of marriage and all that that would have meant in that culture. Born in a stable, a place where animals shelter. The first clothes he ever wears is that of poverty, swaddling clothes, peasant clothing, in other words. In a town that no one cared about, in an occupied country under a ruthless ruler dictator, to a refugee couple who are going to be on the run. That's how it starts. That is what God chooses. That's how the light comes. This has been an incredibly difficult year, hasn't it, for so many people. There's been so much obvious darkness, so much pain, so much struggle. And we know that that's not all over yet. And we know that's been true for many people in our wider community and many people in our church family. At times it has been very dark. And God doesn't come to magically remove all the struggle, but he does come to meet us in the midst of it. He comes in order to bear the weight of our darkness, in order that we might know life, because in him is life, and that life is the light of men. And that's why he comes, so that we can receive and that we might know life. Now, before we end, I just want you to see one last thing in the, in the creation account in Genesis, which I think is so encouraging to us in this season. You see, before God speaks light into creation, we are told that the spirit, if you like, the wind, the breath of God, is brooding or hovering over the waters, over the deep. It speaks of the spirit's role in creation. It, it's a picture, if you like, of God's intimacy with his creation, his indwelling, his infusing of life, his life into creation. Scholars, tells us, scholars tell us it's like a picture of a mother eagle hovering over her nest, kind of stirring up the nest to bring from immaturity to maturity. It's a very intimate picture. When I was young, I used to kind of think of God as like, I, I believed that God was real, but my kind of for some reason, my mental picture of him was that he was an old guy and he was far away and he wasn't really involved anymore. But you see, God doesn't just wind up the clock of creation and then let it go and step away. God actually, Genesis 1 is saying God is intimately connected to his creation then and now. And I can personally remember that the first time when I started to become aware that maybe God was still around. And it absolutely blew me away that he might be able to come close to me, that he, he might be here, that he might know me and he might want to know me. You see, Genesis 1 speaks to us of one who simply speaks and light invades the darkness. He's, he's there before the beginning. He's always been. He speaks and light comes and life starts. And when we're told about creating the heavens and the earth, we're told he simply made the stars also. In other words, he speaks of one who's absolutely awesome and powerful. And yet Genesis 1 also speaks of one who we know one day will take on flesh. That we're told in John 1 will step into our darkness and will come close. That here is one who understands what it is to be abandoned, rejected, to experience great loss, to be alone who hears us when we pray. 
I love the fact, if you know the story of Zachariah with Gabriel, when Gabriel comes to announce to him about Elizabeth. And the first thing Gabriel says to him is, Zachariah, fear not, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. I love that, because I think it means Zachariah didn't know sometimes that his prayers had been heard. You see, most days when you pray, there aren't stars in the sky to guide you, there aren't choirs of angels, there aren't angelic visitations. Most of the time, the light is not so obvious as that. Sometimes you pray and you wonder if God heard you, but Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, and Zechariah probably would have prayed many, many, many times for a child. And Gabriel comes and says, fear not, Zechariah, I want you to know God heard you. God was always there. And as we enter this season, I'm, I'm praying that all of you, all of us, might know Emmanuel might know the joy and the comfort and the peace of his presence, that he is always there and that when we pray, he hears us. Let's pray together now. Father, I want to thank you for this season. Thank you that in Jesus you've come as the light of the world. And I want to ask you that in this season we would know you more. I want to pray for anyone who doesn't know you, that you would reveal yourself to them in this season as we think of this story, Jesus, of you, or the account of you coming and being born amongst us. I want to pray for anyone who feels far away from you, that they would sense the invite from heaven to step close and to come home. And I want to pray for anyone who feels, uh, over these last few months, that it's been so dark, that they've been in a season of darkness. God, I want to pray that they would know you close, that they would sense your light, that you are Emmanuel, that they might know that God is with them. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.